Hi there, Ollie Anderson here. You're listening to Creative Status. This is a podcast about two things, creativity and realness. They're connected because your creativity is the vehicle for you uncovering all of the parts of yourself that you've been hiding from that cause you to block yourself, hesitate and hold back from life. And so if you follow your creativity where it wants to take you, you're going to have a better life, you're going to feel good, and things are going to generally flow and be amazing. Today's episode is an interview with Mandy Theis. She's an art teacher, and she does lots of other interesting things. But the conversation really is about how if we want to make the most of our creativity, we have to use discipline to become skilled so that we can express ourselves even more. This is something that's really important because a lot of the time these conversations about being creative tap into the idea that we are all creative, which I agree with, but they forget to mention that we can maximize our creativity by working with life, with the law of cause and effect, to ultimately level ourselves up and to step into our potential. I think a big thing about being real is acknowledging that we have to accept not just who we are in the moment, but who we could be. And the skill thing is really important when it comes to that. So anyway, it's a really good conversation. Mandy, thank you so much for your time. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Hope you get some value from this. Here we go. Boom. Oh, hi there, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Creative Status. We're going to be talking about them. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you again. I'm already messing it up. It's okay. (laughs) It's all part of the process. We're going to be talking about the magical talent fairy that a lot of people... uh, think is going to swoop into their lives and magically solve their creative problems. Probably some other stuff as well. But before we get into it, do you want to introduce yourself, tell people what you're all about and what you want to get out of this conversation as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me uh, for the second time, not interrupting you this time. And uh, my name is Mandy Tice. I am a licensed art teacher. I also have something called atelier training, which is just a fancy word for saying realistic drawing and painting training. But this crazy thing is that um, this training almost went extinct during the last century. And today it's Uh, becoming more popular and uh, more people have access to it. But there is no talent fairy that's going to come and bop you on the head and then you're (laughs) magically going to be able to draw and paint realistically. However, if you connect with atelier training, if you find these people and there's more and more of them every day, they can teach you how to draw and paint realistically, even if you can't even draw a stick figure. Wow. So already this is getting very interesting. Like why did this training, the atelier training, that's what you call it, why did that almost go extinct? Like that's interesting. In itself. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very complex answer. So it used to be, you know, the default in art was that people would go to these ateliers, get the training in realistic, you know, drawing and painting training, and then go on to their careers in architecture or easel painting or mm. any of the arts. Really, the basis was this drawing training. Um, but uh, a few things happened. One is that the center of these uh, training, like the, these training centers, especially in Europe and Paris in particular, but Munich was another big center. Um, things didn't go so well in World War One and World War Two. Like the people <laughs> running these schools literally died wow. um, in some of these wars. Uh, and then you had obviously a whole lot of upheaval. Now, um, Americans did start um, 
you know, in the late 1800s, there were, uh, you know, wealthy business owners in the United States that were like, we want European style portraits. And they started sending artists to Europe, to Paris and to Munich. And then they mm -hmm. would come back and open up schools in the United States. Um, so, you know, some of these early schools were open, like the Cincinnati um, uh, Art School. Uh, it had a different name when it opened. But, you know, what we generally think of as museums today often started as these ateliers. Wow. Um, but like, here's where I start sounding a little bit like a conspiracy theorist, and I promise you, I'm not. I have receipts. I can back this up. But um, keep in mind that during the Cold War, so we we had World War One, World War Two, that like destroyed sometimes physically, sometimes the people running the ateliers. And then by the time the Cold War comes around, there is like this big emphasis in you know between Russia and the United States yeah. and Russia was really into realism and that realism training that they maintained, right? So they maintained their ateliers in Russia, but uh, there was a strong fear of communist realism wow. in the United States. Uh, and so you've heard of McCarthyism going yeah, after, yeah, yeah. you know, Aaron Copeland or, you know, big name, you know, Hollywood studios people. Well, the artists weren't exempt from that, right? And so if you were an easel painter and you're painting in a communist realism way, you had to change gear pretty quick in order to have a career. So a lot of these people went to um, California to work in the movie industry. Many of them went into illustration. Uh, Norman Rockwell is an example of this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where it was safe, you know, these like little secret safe places to be a realist without being accused of being a communist. <laughs> Wow. And so um, that was part of it. Yeah. Um, now, there were a handful of places that managed to keep this training alive in, you know, the easel painting tradition, more or less. Um, and the most common one that people can trace their lineage back to, it was in Boston with this guy named um, Ives Gamel. Another one survived in Italy. Some Americans were running a school in Italy who had trained with like Narina Simi and Pietro Goni, who Narina Simi's father was one of the last people to train in the Ecole de Beaux Arts in Paris before that um, mm -hmm. system collapsed in World War II. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, crazy because it used to be very standard in the visual arts and similar to other art fields, right? Like if you listen to a musician, you expect them to, you know, play in tune and mm -hmm. on beat, right? But mm -hmm. in art, we've lost our connection to all technicality. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so ironically, this atelier movement, which used to be the standard in art, is now the countercultural movement in art. That's really interesting. Like, honestly, like yeah we're gonna crack open the talent fair in, in a few minutes probably but in general i totally agree with what, what you have just suggested about the technical skills and the foundation of the craft being something that's super super important to state the obvious but that you need to be able to understand and to have mastered before you can start breaking the rules and playing with like expressionism or surrealism or all these different rule breaking things that people like to kind of focus on instead these days and sure. only if you understand the like the craft whether it's writing or art or whatever it is can you actually start to be creative because you can't break the rules until you understand the rules and if you do understand them in a very technical way then you're going to know why you're breaking them and why you're pushing the envelope and all that kind of stuff so do you think our cultural aversion to realism in art is linked to some of these beliefs around the talent fairy that people <laughs> think are 
what's actually required for them to be creative these days. So I suppose before you answer yeah. that, let's, <laughs> I'm throwing loads at you, sorry. Let's start with the definition of the talent fairy in relation to all this stuff that you just shared. So, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll let you. Uh, yeah, um, so there's so much in what you said, and it's hard for me not to respond to each piece of it, but let's uh, start with the talent fairy. Um, it, it's all, inter like this is an ecosystem that's all mm. interrelated. They're not separate things that you just mentioned, because the reason people believe a talent fairy exists is wow. largely because of this um, exclusivity <laughs> modern art market that's been art shaming the populace for the last hundred years yeah, yeah. into... Uh, saying this white canvas is really deep and important <laughs> and if you don't think so you're a dum-dum right wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, I don't believe in art shaming and I strongly encourage anybody to stick to their guns like if you don't like a piece of art it's okay to say that like mm -hmm. we say that with movies right like if Brad Pitt doesn't make a movie or have a good acting role you can say that right? mm -hmm. we can say that in other art forms but we aren't allowed to criticize what a very small number of tastemakers decides is high-end art and and then we don't understand it and then we think that oh we don't have it whatever mm. it is mm. we weren't hit on the head by the talent fairy i just <laughs> you know and it's so asinine i can't stand like that whole ecosystem that makes people like everyday people who do appreciate beauty and do appreciate skill believe that somehow they are ignorant or dumb because mm. this kind of silly art that is being pushed upon us by a very wow. small group of people is, uh, you know, constantly, you know, it, it's a closed circuit up there on the high end art world, mm. right? Like they, mm. um, you know, the people running museums and selecting the artwork and picking which artists are the it <laughs> artists, like it's a very closed circuit. And, you know, unlike other art forms, you know, people don't really care anymore. Like everyday people don't really care. If you if you walk down the street and ask anybody, um, name three movie stars or th name three bands that you mm -hmm. like, right? Mm -hmm. Almost anybody has, mm -hmm. the e can easily name that, right? Uh, of living people. Um, ask people the three famous living artists today. <laughs> yeah. Like the yeah. average person can't. Right. Uh, some of them can name dead people. But uh, <laughs> and I think that really speaks to the disconnect between what's being imposed upon the public as high end art mm. and what the public actually cares about. And if you look at the beloved art figures of the 20th century, like say what you will about Thomas Kincaid, uh, he's the guy that painted all those like little cottages with like the light inside. Right. That were in the malls in the 90s um so say what you want about how saccharine and like teeth hurting his artwork was but they brought people real joy yeah, and lots yeah. of people real joy he was traded for billions of dollars wow. like he was the first publicly traded artist right mm -hmm. and you know like he was saying something that connected with people in this time of disconnect and wow. you know up upheaval and he was giving them like a, a place of peace you know a visual mm -hmm. you know comfort and uh you know that resonated with more people than all the blank canvases in the high-end museums right wow yeah so do you think um like i'm gonna sound really cynical now but do you think more cynical than me just now <laughs> Well, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of the modern art, mm -hmm. it really is just bullshit, isn't it? Like, it's just... Absolutely. Yeah, part of my and, French. And, yeah, no, I find that I have to give people permission to say that out loud, right? <laughs> like, people are so yeah. afraid 
to say what they really think about modern art out loud because we've been shamed yeah, they don't want to look by <laughs> these communities. And not only that, but sometimes uh, there's quote-unquote high-end artwork that's been designed to shame people. So there's yeah, like a yeah. common thing that happens where a high-end artist will leave garbage as a exhibit, right, <laughs> as an installation, and then inevitably somebody throws the garbage away, and then they're like, ha-ha, look at the ignorant, you know, proletariat yeah. class, yeah. right? Like they, yeah. they just don't get... Uh, how significant and meaningful this artwork was. So, like, the, wow. they're like even setting it up to reinforce this nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's like an us them thing. And ultimately, I think the reason we can say that it's bullshit is that it's it's ultimately pure ego. And I think it does go back to what you're saying about the talent fairy. So, like, ultimately, if most modern artists are not learning those real technical skills to be able to d handle reality first and foremost. Mm -hmm then basically all they're doing is just pulling whatever concoction is ready to come out of their ass, putting it on a canvas or taking a <laughs> photograph of it or whatever. But because it has no actual substance, because they're not grounded in something true, and it's just their mm -hmm. ego basically going through the motions of creating something, then what ends up happening is they create all these abstract ideological conceptual interpretations around this bullshit basically that they've created <laughs> and right. then they well, try and sell yeah. the conceptual ideas as being mm -hmm. way more inflated and valuable than they actually are and because people are insecure because they're getting art shamed and all this kind of stuff you're talking about mm -hmm. then it's, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like the emperor's new clothes they buy into it oh for sure it's like oh yes mm -hmm. this blank canvas must mean this mm -hmm. because this is what they said and blah 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 but ultimately it's all just yeah. a castle in the sky and like it can crumble as soon as you bring the truth back into the equation. And I really think that for 90% of it, the only function of it is to shame people and to feel exclusive and to give people the buzz of buying into that. Or in a lot of cases, there's probably money laundering going on and stuff like that. Which oh, for sure. That's it's the most my unregulated little, market in the world. Yeah, that's my conspiracy theory. And so... Uh, it, it's all bullshit, it's not even basically. A conspiracy, <laughs> like <laughs> there's no laws that govern, or very few laws, and the ones that they've tried to pass have been gutted. So, uh, I I can't even go there because there's so many <laughs> other things that you just mentioned that need to be addressed. Um, but Tom Wolfe wrote a book called The Painted Word, and you know he's a well-respected um, New York City author, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he said that. He called it the painted word because it's no longer even about the painting. Wow. It's about what you write about the painting, yeah, right? Is. And so it might be interesting philosophy with a cute little illustration, but is it art, right? If it's not mm. communicating visually, if the message isn't getting through, if someone can't look at it and yeah. understands yeah. what it is, um, then is it actually art or is it philosophy, right? With a written thesis next to it. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, too, that I want to be very clear about is that I don't hate all modern art. I hate yeah. uh, modern art that is not communicating visually. So there mm -hmm. are certainly uh, mm -hmm. modern artists that I really enjoy and appreciate, like Kahindi Wiley, for example. Um, you know, that, you know, Kendi Wiley is an artist that has um, works in realism and puts uh, African-American men and women into um, kind of royal portraits. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. it's a very cool effect. And it, it speaks uh, and it has something to say that's understood yeah. by looking yeah. at it. Right. Yeah. Um, and there are even some more abstract works that I find valuable that you can understand by looking at them. I don't have a problem with all modern art and I don't have a problem with, you know, theory and art. What I have a problem with is art shaming. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there is a place for theory and art, obviously. 
But it's a matter of degree. Like if it's only theory, then the art becomes conceptual more than anything else. And a lot of the time, the concepts that people attach to the art are concepts that they're using to justify the way that their ego wants them to be able to <laughs> feel. And I think that's why you get the us them kind of mindset, like within the system you're yeah. talking about, the ecosystem. I think real well, art. I think it's sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, just to recognize that a lot of the quote unquote successful high end artists uh, often started their careers in marketing or mm. are marketing geniuses. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Andy Warhol came from a marketing background. Right. Yeah, and yeah. he was mocking the entire high end art world his entire career. Right. Um, and, you know, he actually felt that he had helped destroy the technical skills in art and actually founded the New York Academy of Arts in New York mm. City to to try to save figurative drawing after he thought that he killed it. Wow. So like yeah. a lot of people don't know that part about the history that a lot of these artists that go off the rails, like Damien Hirst was <laughs> famous for putting a shark in a tank and calling it uh, the fear of death in the mind of someone living, right? What mm-hmm. a great marketing name mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. right? Um, did it take skill to stuff a shark? No, he didn't even stuff it himself. He paid someone <laughs> else to stuff it. <laughs> um, but uh, do you know, there was a period of time where he started working on what he called fact paintings, where he was like painting realistic butterflies, actually trying to teach himself how to paint, wow. right? So. Yeah. Even these high-end artists get tired of the BS after a period of time and try to actually learn the techniques and skills of their craft. Mm. There is another side of the coin, actually, as well, that we maybe need to explore. So mm-hmm. I agree with what you said. I think real art ultimately is about communicating something real or giving people an experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just a conceptual thing. But mm-hmm. the other side of the coin to what we're saying about modern art being bullshit when it's too conceptual and abstract and blah, 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 blah. If it's just a, a an imitation of reality, like if we're just painting an apple or something, maybe that's not really communicating anything either. And so there is an element where you need to be able to express something real, but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to reflect the way reality looks in order to do that. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's, sure. there's a yeah. lot of skills uh, around that. It's like there's a middle ground to be creating oh, something really true. There's certainly a lot of realistic artwork that isn't good art. Like mm. it's not good just because yeah. it has technique to achieve it. I absolutely believe that as well. And, you know, there's a lots of artists that have atelier training. Um, Elizabeth Danzinger comes to mind who um, has some abstract elements in her work that are done very skillfully. Right. Mm. Um, so uh, it's it's not an all or nothing uh, situation. But I do think and this is a, a position as a licensed art teacher who's worked in the public school systems as somebody who trains other art teachers through the mm. university um, program at the Florence Academy of Art, wow. as somebody that uh, trains people at large through my online class um, with our Atelier Painting boot camp, I have all these different experiences of teaching and anybody can learn technique. It's not unique mm. to like some people mm. and not others. Wow. Um, and all of those people go on to create different things with that technique. And yeah. I really believe that the most creative person there is, uh, the most creative artists that exist today, are the ones that can execute their vision without compromise because they didn't have the techniques they needed. Mm -hmm. So what are we saying here about creativity itself? Because basically what we said, if you're just copying what's in front of you, 
Well, in a way, you're just like a, a really intelligent monkey that's learned some skills. If you're, right, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to, I have to, I cannot let this point slide. <laughs> I have got to address this. Okay. Um, it's a common belief with atelier trained artists, like why not just use a camera if you're just copying realistically yeah. what's in front of you? And I wow. need to address this because it's super important. And mm. this is the level of visual literacy that we have in today's society that even 100 years ago, most people understood uh, as a, like a standard course of knowledge. Mm. All right. So here, I'm getting on my soapbox here, so buckle it's up. Okay. I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Let me take a breath first. So, yeah, <laughs> like you, you have me hyperventilating <laughs> here because um, here's the deal. A camera, mm. when it's you're taking a picture of something, uh, or a painter, when they're painting wow. something, you are taking something from the three-dimensional world and you are compressing massive amounts of 3D information <laughs> to only 2D information. Yeah. So think about how much more power your computer needs to run a video game that has like three-dimensional elements versus like a 2D game, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that was a big innovation in video games. And it like literally takes more processing power, like significantly more processing power to do that because there's more information there. Okay, so the physical world around us has more visual information than we can ever put on a two-dimensional canvas mm -hmm. or a picture mm -hmm. that we print, mm -hmm. all right? So what's being edited out now mm. a camera is a machine that's making editing choices the same way every time that you can manipulate a few key things on like you can change like the shutter speed and you can focus in different areas but it's somewhat limited on the choices that you can make when you are painting something with a well-trained eye and with atelier techniques you have infinite choices about which mm. information mm. to weed mm. out and which yeah. information to include i have like if you look at a chardon painting of like one of his pairs it is one of the most creative acts in my opinion in <laughs> painting yeah um, because of what he edited out and how complete and beautiful mm. it's more beautiful than you could ever get with a camera because it's controlled and intentional with a vision that matches the whole mm. so in a way that's answered my question because ultimately what you're <laughs> saying the difference between just imitating something like one of these super intelligent monkeys or whatever or been too conceptual for the sake of being clever and justifying your ego and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The distinguishing factor is the choices that we make. And mm -hmm. I guess what we're saying then is a truly creative person, uh, an, an actual artist, instead of just a, a, someone painting pictures for the sake of it or taking mm -hmm. photos for the sake of it or typing instead of writing, mm -hmm. it's the choices that we make. The, the, Absolutely. Yeah. So how do we make sure that we're making the right choices? I suppose that's a question. And I think this is where the talent uh, talent fairy is going to come <laughs> swooping back in. Because in a way, yes. the talent fairy, if she did exist, she would be waving her magical wand and then we would magically be making creative choices from one moment to the next instead of just going through yes. the motions either with our left brain and being too skilled or with our right brain and just pouring our guts out on the page or <laughs> with some conceptual bullshit in the middle. Um, so there's a great story that I think illustrates this point really well um, that I'd like to share with you. So when I was teaching in the public school system, I took my students to a museum to see an Ansel Adams exhibit. And for those of you who might not be familiar, Ansel Adams was this photographer. He did a lot with um, national parks and he made absolutely stunning, beautiful photography images. So we have Ansel Adams negatives and we have the prints that he made from those negatives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, museums that own the negatives try to make a new print from the negative, right? Mm. And 
in theory, if there was no skill involved, it should just come out, right? Mm -hmm. But the choices Ansel Adams made in his own prints are what made his work so beautiful and so emotionally stunning, right? And uh, I remember even my students being like, how come some of these are so much worse than the others? And I was like... And I didn't know at the time, right? And so I asked the curator, you know, and they're like, oh, well, some of those are actually the prints made by Ansel Adams where he was controlling exactly the light and shadow Mm -hmm. and values, Mm -hmm. and some were not. And Ansel Adams was running around in a circle in California with Atelier-trained artists, right? And he was applying that knowledge to photography. And the people in the museums trying to make these same prints today don't have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what's missing? Mm -hmm. The beauty of even with his own negatives, mm. the beauty is missing. Yeah. So where do you think he got that understanding? I know he, he had the training, but do you think there's, mm-hmm. in a way, that it's more than just the training. Like something has happened in, in his life experience where he's gained an understanding of what actually makes something beautiful. And uh, that, Well, that, we actually know. Hmm. Um, so he he trained at a um, he was a classical pianist. He was trained as a classical pianist, wow. and to train at the highest levels in any art mm. is about nuance and degree yeah. and like yeah. precision within like tiniest degrees that yeah. people without the yeah. training don't yeah. understand even exist. So it's not surprising to me that when he took up photography, that he had that sensitivity mm. that he had as a pianist to be able to see the small increments of change because mm. he understands as a highly trained artist what a small increment of change is. Wow. So how do we get to that point? Like if people, if you look around you at the world today, everybody mm. seems to think that they're some kind of creative genius. And <laughs> I think a big... Well, I th- actually think everybody is. They just don't have the the skill set yeah. and practice to bring it out, right? Yeah, To its yeah. fullest level. Um, and that's what atelier training really does. Like, you know, it's taking where you are and taking what you love most about the world and giving you the tools you need to enhance mm. it and make it mm. the most of that that it can be. Right. So... For example, like if you look at Instagram, right, there are so many people that have bought a camera and Mm -hmm. they think that because they own a camera and they know how to press the button to make it go click, that they're Mm -hmm. like a photographer or an artist. Or people think that because they can paint their cat or something and (laughs) then post it online, they're like an artist. Or they think that because they can type some poetry, then they're (laughs) like an actual poet. But actually, that is not necessarily the case. And I think they're, they're the kind of people who the talent fairy is kind of deceived in some way. And <laughs> like by, they, they believe that they've been hit by the talent fairy. They, they yeah, yeah, yeah. have to do the work to get the skills yeah, that they need to take it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an interesting theory. I, I definitely see what you're saying. But to me, one, I'm so happy that people are actually taking their artist self seriously. Mm. As a you know a licensed art teacher, I found that until about fourth grade, students love drawing, they love creating, they're not afraid. And then yeah. uh, by the time they hit fourth grade, because they don't have access to the training and skills they need to make their artwork at the level that they want it to be, mm. they start saying, okay, well, if I can't draw my grandma the way I want to and have it look like my grandma, then I must not have it. Yeah. Right? Like that's where that idea happens. But what's actually missing are people that have the training that can teach that child how to achieve what they're going after. Because mm. 
I this is hard for me to say because I love art teachers. I'm in, you know, a very avid and, you know, active member in the art education community. Um, but it's not their fault, but we've all gone mm. through college training. People my age, I'm almost 40. Um, we went through college, you know, art teacher training being like, if you teach skills, it'll ruin student creativity. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. if you have an entire profession whose job it is to teach art, who are afraid to teach art because they were told that it will ruin student creativity, mm. they're not going to be able to give the student the skills they need to yeah. create that artwork that's in their head. Yeah. And that's where this problem is. And that's why I'm such a advocate of technical training. It does mm. not ruin student creativity. Yeah. It makes them more creative. It makes them be able to create the artwork that they want to and it helps encourage them when they can grow towards what they have in their head that they're trying to achieve mm. that's kind of that's basically what i was getting at so i believe everybody is creative like ultimately that is the human condition it's the theme of this podcast we're all absolutely. creative yes, creativity absolutely. ultimately at that level is about working with what's going on within us at a psychological level so we can make the unconscious mm -hmm. conscious and move towards wholeness and creativity is a vehicle for doing that but at that very real level of creativity, there are a lot of myths around the talent fairy. And it's basically the yes. myth that that's all you need. All you need is your natural creativity. That's true. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> but at the same time, it's not true. And the reason we can say that is it's basically it's like a muscle. And if you can choose mm -hmm. absolutely the skills that are going to allow you to be able to be more effective with that natural drive that we all have towards wholeness and creativity mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah then you're going to be more free and you're going to be able to get better results. But I think because of the myth that you've been talking about, that all you need to do is just pick up a camera or whatever it is. I always end up picking mm -hmm. up photographers, I don't know why. But um, right. if, if if you just think that's all you need to do, pick up the camera and then you've just got, naturally got this creative genius, maybe some of us will naturally just be able to take amazing photos and to express something that's so real that everyone who sees these photos is just going to be mind blown. But probably for the average person, we need to upskill ourselves to get the results we want that actually is, and sure. it's not just traditional creativity like it might be like for a certain person your way of being creative is to have a business and you need to develop mm -hmm. certain skills that are going to allow you to think more creatively in a business context it might be oh, been a parent or whatever so actually this yeah. what you're talking about has universal application but a lot of us right. have fallen into the trap of thinking that we're just naturally going to be gifted at something and yeah, that that makes yeah. me so sad for people because then they yeah. give up on their dreams yeah, and they don't I mean. realize that there are people out there in the world that can help you achieve your dreams. Like I had given up being a realistic painter. Mm. And when I was like 25, I discovered atelier training existed. Right. Mm. It was like being told I could go to Hogwarts and like be a magician, you know, like be a <laughs> witch or whatever. Um, that this thing, this magical thing that I had always desired was suddenly within my grasp. Right. Yeah, and what yeah. kills me is that we keep perpetuating this myth that oh you either have it or you don't and that's a lie yeah. and even those instagram people that you're talking about like i'm i don't hate photography the well done photography i adore there's yeah, an artist um called Signa on Instagram that I'm totally obsessed with. She's a photographer. Um, but when you go and talk to her, you find out that, oh, actually, she spent a lot of time honing her craft. She spent mm. a lot of time mm. taking classes and learning from people who knew more than her. Or, you know, so even the people that we think just popped out of nowhere, there's a lot of behind the scenes work mm. that's being done. Mm. But mm. there's a huge societal advantage <sighs> of pretending like you're hit by the talent. Yeah, Picasso yeah, yeah. maximized that in an extreme way because wow. his father was Atelier trained. 
yeah. trained Picasso, and then he spent his whole career telling people that he was the magical hit by the talent yeah. fairy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he he had far more access to knowledge and training than almost anybody alive at the same time. He yeah. didn't die until the '80s, but atelier training almost died out, like pretty much died out with his father's generation, right? Mm-hmm. So he was mm-hmm. so lucky to have that knowledge and skill and training. And then he goes around and markets them because guess what? You can sell a whole lot more art if you pretend that you were hit on the head by fair than if you tell the world anybody can do it if you just go to these schools or have access to this knowledge. Yeah, that is such a vital and important point that you just made. Like ultimately, people, they care about the results that we're getting. So like if you write a book or something or you paint something amazing or whatever <laughs> it is, people care about the results and if you start talking about the process behind it, like I wrote a book, for example, right? Like if I said, well, every day mm-hmm. I sat down and I typed for three hours and then I did, <laughs> like people are going to fall asleep and all of the romance around the book itself just kind of dissipates mm-hmm. and people think, okay, well, I suppose anyone could do that. It's, it's not interesting anymore. And so <laughs> that's one side of it. People don't want to, they only want to see the tip of the iceberg, not what's going on mm-hmm. under the water. But also they want to believe that we can just get the results without doing the work because then it yes. makes them feel that it's it's more attainable in a strange way. But actually that attitude is what distances them from getting the results. And so- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, when you believe that you have to be hit on the talent fairy to create the painting and the style that you wow. see that you like or what you aspire to, mm-hmm. and if you believe that you just weren't it, then it frees you from the obligation of doing the work to achieve your yeah, dream. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and I hate that myth so much, and it starts at elementary school, unfortunately, with like the current attitudes in art education that are still kind of stuck in the last century mm-hmm. um, of, you know, teaching skills will ruin creativity, but, you know, teachers are starting to change that, and, you know, I, I, I have 20,000 people on my mailing list. Most of them are teachers asking me every day, how do you do this or how do you teach this? So we're we're starting to shift the mm-hmm. narrative here mm-hmm. um, and, and help teachers get the resources they need and the training they need. Because remember that their teachers didn't have this knowledge either, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, how could they possibly teach something that they've never had access to before? So, um, and it's not just art teachers. You know, I have a lot of tattoo artists that are really interested in atelier training that I work with. Um, almost anybody working in realism, architecture uh, people, are starting to understand that drawing is key. Like if they can't draw realistically, they can't create any of the buildings that they see in Europe that they love and adore. You know, mm-hmm. like they don't have close to the sensitivity they need to achieve something like that. So, yeah. um, you know, people from, and actually a lot of dentists. I don't know why dentists, but <laughs> dentists are like in my online atelier class more and more, right? Um, so, you know, and the thing is, is you don't have to have an art background. You don't have to know anything. In fact, sometimes it's better to not know anything about mm-hmm. drawing mm-hmm. and painting when you start atelier training because then you have to unlearn a bunch of bad information yeah 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 i think what you're saying about um basically the universality of anybody being able to learn skills is Mm -hmm. something that is not very romantic it's not very attractive (laughs) to a lot of people but it's ultimately it's just the truth what we're talking about is cause and effect like what i found in my Mm -hmm. coaching practice Pretty much anybody can do anything they want as long as, you know, mm-hmm. it's within the, the bounds of reality. Like they're not trying to, I don't know, summon a magical unicorn or something and then float off into outer <laughs> space. But in general, if we're just trying to improve our lives and move towards our goals, you just need to use the, the law of cause and effect, which is what we're talking about, mm-hmm. and be disciplined, consistent and focused in just moving towards your goals every day. And a big part of that Absolutely. in relation to what you're talking about is skills. And actually that makes... 
uh, our goals and our visions for our lives within within grasp. But for some reason, I think because having to face that law and cause and effect is going to cause us to face ourselves and realize that, okay, we're not quite as good as we think we are now. We might have to face yeah. some underlying shame and guilt and trauma and we have to grow to our comfort zones yes. and our identity is going to change and all this kind of stuff. Because of that, we would rather believe in mm -hmm. the talent fairy so that we yes. can kind of just explain what we th really want away and just kind of go through the motions yes. of being stuck in the comfort zone. So what you're talking about is super important. It has universal application to all human beings. Oh, absolutely. Because ultimately, you're just raising awareness of how things actually work. And yes. I think that's amazing. So, yes. Yes. Uh, it, you know, it is work. And I, there's something that I'd like to say here that a lot of people don't realize, too. Because when you start training, whether it's in an atelier to learn how to draw and paint realistically or any of these other mm -hmm. examples that you just gave, it's that um, as you improve, you tend to want more. Right. Yeah, so yeah. when I first started my atelier training, I saw somebody that was a couple years ahead of me in their training. And I told myself, if I could just paint that well, I'd never want for anything in my <laughs> life ever again. Right. <laughs> and then a few years later, you're at that level and you're like, oh, this actually isn't very good now mm. I'm trained so well that I can see what really good is right mm -hmm. and then um, and so you know as you're training like one yes anybody can get better at technical skills including drawing and painting there's no mm. talent fairy mm. if if we haven't got that emphasized enough throughout this podcast <laughs> and then uh, two that your goals shift because you become more open to the mm. world and more mm. open to your own potential and yeah, possibilities yeah, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. As you as you level up and invest in the skill set, uh, whatever that skill set is that you're going after, um, it opens up more possibilities. It helps you see more. And mm -hmm. I think there's a balance to be had between understanding that it's a never ending journey when you pursue an art and I'm sure other things, too. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's it, Leonardo da Vinci, when he was 80 years old, said, if only I had 80 years, then I could really learn how to paint. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So it, accepting the journey and accepting that it's not an end point, that it, it's a lifelong pursuit, especially mm -hmm. in the arts. Yeah, that's how I see it. Like we can always go deeper into awareness, basically, of who we are, what we're trying to express mm -hmm. in the world, and then yes. an acceptance of how we can do that. And mm -hmm. ultimately, that's why I think the the realist art is linked to the realist relationship with ourselves. Because as we go through mm -hmm. this, this journey of like upskilling and understanding what we're trying to communicate and all that kind of stuff, we get a stronger foundation of truth in our relationship with who we are ultimately and by doing that absolutely that's when we can use the skills to the greatest extent possible we can make those nuanced choices that you were talking about we know the message mm -hmm. that we need to put into our work we're not scared to use those skills to face parts of ourselves that we've been hiding from actually and to use the art oh, to yes. bring those parts <laughs> to the surface and so ultimately yes it all starts like you said in a way by killing the talent fairy and taking control yes. of our own relationship with ourselves so we can use our talents to be even more real or something like that. Well said, well thank said, you, thank you, absolutely. Thank you. So how would you sum up all of this that we've been talking about? So we, yeah, that is, is no mean feat to be able to do that. But I guess, yeah, what are the final words of wisdom? How can we move forward with our lives now that we've uncovered this uh, addiction to the talent fairy that many people have and can you let people know where they can find you as well and all that kind of thing yeah absolutely so i would love for your audience just to be able to take away that 
anybody can draw and paint or any other pursuit that you, you know, are interested in. But obviously my area is in drawing and painting. Like it doesn't matter if you can't even draw a stick figure. If you train with an atelier trained person, they can teach you how to draw and paint at levels that you never thought possible. And there is no talent fairy, but there is work that goes into doing that. If you're interested in like trying it out, I have a free online color class on my website at www.schoolofatelierarts. Atelier is spelled A-T-E-L-I-E-R. It's a French word. Um, and it's on the front page there and it'll take you through how to see colors probably in a way that you've never thought before. And Mm. my promise to anybody that takes this free class is that you will be able to see colors that you didn't know existed by the time that you finish this one hour class. Um, and if that, if that doesn't convince you that (laughs) drawing and painting can, is a learned skill, like I create that class because it's the most impact with the shortest amount of time to really prove to people that yes, absolutely. Anybody can learn how to draw and paint better. And here's a little sample and try it. Try it and yeah. find out. Um, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, my God, I've wanted this my whole life. I didn't know what it was called. It's called atelier training. And I run an online atelier two times a week um, where you get live critiques. And I have video instruction. And you can find that at School of Atelier Arts. And it's called the um, Atelier Painting Boot Camp. And then um, if you're just like a t- like art curious and you are interested in the types of conversation that we had, I encourage you to join our massive, very popular email list. We um, have thousands and thousands of people on our email list, and we I send out like little articles that I write, um, little tidbits about you know the art world and what's going on. So if you just have a general interest in art, I encourage you to join the newsletter. Well, that all sounds amazing. So I'm going to sign up for that course. I do believe. Yes. Like, there's no talent fairy, but there's a color fairy, and it's it's. There you is a color fairy. <laughs> um, so yeah, that sounds I awesome. Love that. I'll share all of the links in the show notes. But Mandy, thank you so much for this. It's been a good one, and I oh, just thank you so much for having me. Thanks again. <laughs> See, I had to interrupt you at the end because I started with the beginning. It, it's okay. That's <laughs> we've gone full circle. It's, it's beautiful and it's strange. Yes. So yeah, thanks again. All right. Thank you. <laughs>